Hello and a very warm welcome to the latest in a new series of podcasts created by the Monocle 24 team for Unlimited, a forum powered by UBS. Together, we've strived to challenge and interrogate conventional notions of wealth, ownership, luxury and legacy. When UBS launched the Unlimited platform in July 2016, we set out to answer the question, does wealth make us rich anymore? Today, we meet four individuals with their own take on this question. So, what entices entrepreneurs to swap stable careers for risky ones? Well, one reason is that the younger generation is starting to discover that there's more to reap from work than mere financial rewards. Our quality of life and the social impact of our work are just as, if not more, important than amassing money for its own sake. So how can wealth enrich the lives of entrepreneurs in a way that goes beyond their bank balance? We turn now to the world of philanthropy. David Goldberg is director of a global initiative called Founders Pledge. By signing up to the Founders Pledge, entrepreneurs commit to donating at least 2% of their personal proceeds upon an exit of their company. Founders Pledge is a charity that supports entrepreneurs and empowers them to be the best versions of themselves by committing to, at the very earliest stage in their journey as a business person, to give to philanthropy when they have some success. We structure uh, an agreement that they sign in a legally binding capacity that, through which they give to charity when they have uh, an exit. And they get to choose that charity and support it in the way that they think best with their time and with their money. I think giving as a trend has remained quite flat. It hasn't really increased or decreased. There's still uh, an old cater of traditional philanthropists who give in yearly amounts, sometimes quite large, sometimes not. But we've seen more of an impetus, especially within the entrepreneurial community, to start embedding those principles within business and within life from the very earliest stages. So I would say that there's been an increase in tech entrepreneur philanthropy, but most other philanthropy, as far as I can tell, has remained quite flat. Because the community that we, that we bring together is, on the whole, self-made, they care quite a bit about the impact of their money. And I mean, I guess if you went out and asked your standard giver, you know, would you rather give to something that's more effective or something less effective? the case would always be more effective. The difference is entrepreneurs tend to utilize and look for data to support anecdotal evidence as opposed to being led purely by the heart and empathy. So they give in a more structured way. So there's, in some cases, it's called venture philanthropy. And that speaks quite closely to what we do. So we use data to understand in a very structured and analytical way where money can have the most importance and impact for the beneficiaries on the other end. I think most entrepreneurs start businesses because they want to have an impact in the world. The younger generation has a set of values that are very important and understanding when you're spending your money as a consumer, where that ends up and in whose hands that ends up is quite vital. So businesses that, that have leadership, that values, tend to see more brand loyalty, more spending, and more engagement with their users. Tech entrepreneurs are quite sensitive to trends and markets and look at 
click-through rates and, and dwell times and, and can really use data to see, as we do with charity, where they're getting the most ROI for their spend with advertising, whether it's how they design their product or how the product interacts with its users. Same thing applies to charity and values. It used to be more about brand differentiation, but now it's sort of become the norm that businesses that have social values that their consumers align with are more successful. Money has diminishing marginal utility. So you can get to a certain point at where that next million or 10 million or more has no more personal value and just pure happiness utility than the amount that was before it. So in those cases, you know, the people I talk to tend to find that there's a minimum amount with which they feel that they'd be happy or comfortable or insulated in the long term. And everything above that is just icing on the cake. And given the stratification of society and the, and the gross divide between the top and the bottom of the economic pyramid, there's a sense of responsibility, given that technology has connected us to every person on the planet. At least we can inhabit parts of their lives. And when we see, as humans, individuals that have empathy, we want to instinctively make things better. David Goldberg there, director of Founders Pledge. We turn now to Charlie Leet Cook and Rich Goldsmith, university pals who took jobs in the corporate world before realising the difficulty of staying healthy while doing so. The pair started making juices at home and eventually decided that their passion for healthy living was a cause worth ditching their nine-to-fives to pursue. Together, they launched a brand of cold-pressed, nutrient-rich, non-pasteurised juices named Moju. Here's Charlie and Rich to tell their story. So I suppose we call this phase of our life our suit-wearing and shiny shoe phase. I was an insurance broker for a top three broking house in the city of London, and I specialised in aviation insurance. Strangely enough, when we left university, I actually didn't come up to London. I, I went to Bristol and I worked for an aerospace company. And then I went into investment banking for a few years up in London. And that's sort of where I remained until Moji kicked off. We actually met in our final year of university and through a shared passion of surfing, basically became best buds. We used to hot tail down to the southwest coast at a Devon Cornwall on weekends and do stupid things like sleep in our board bags because we'd forgotten our sleeping bags and camp out in tents throughout the year. And we're still terrible at surfing, so... <laughs> when we started juicing at home, I don't think we sort of ever envisaged setting up a business. It was basically for the pure reason of just... We were working really long hours, Monday to Friday during the week, and uh, yeah, we just needed something that was going to give us a little bit more of the good stuff. So it's not like that epiphany necessarily, or that light bulb moment, or you suddenly think, right, I quit, and you walk into work. As I say, it sort of evolves into that, and it's a bit, bit, a bit like how Moju came around, really. It sort of evolved into a, a business from a hobby, and we were sort of driven by the health elements of it, and, and that, I guess, underpins why we're doing what we're doing. It's a big generational shift that we're seeing at the moment. People just aren't happy to go and be well it's the normal term isn't it be the cog in the big machine and people want want to go out there and do something that they genuinely believe in I mean both Rich and I always say we, we never didn't enjoy what we wanted to do but like for my, in my case um, 
the people that you're looking up to that are 10, 20 years ahead that are now earning the salaries that you're sort of aspiring to get to at that time, they didn't genuinely look that happy and they're sort of trapped by families, mortgages. And so I think people nowadays are, are sort of realising that and, and a big reason why sort of I left at the stage I did was because I wanted to get out and go and do something on, on my own before I got trapped by sort of by the families and the mortgage elements that really tie you in. I think at any startup business, basically, you're always on on edge a little bit as well. And we're, we're at the moment in quite a rapid growth phase, which is really exciting. But the faster you grow, the more money sort of you need, basically, to keep that machine going, whether that's infrastructure in terms of employees, um, sort of sales support, marketing efforts. So it's, it's always a case of juggling and just putting things where you know, you need to focus them um, the most. Um, and then, you know, it's that sort of su- survival element. And we seem to have been doing pretty well so far on that. Charlie and I could have set up another business in a, with another kind of product, but we couldn't feel as passionate about the product because it came from a hobby for a start. So it was something that we genuinely believed in. And it's immensely important. And it's, it's, there's so many cliches when it comes to being an entrepreneur and, and growing a business, but it, it really is true that when it's, it doesn't even feel like a job. I mean, it feels like a grind. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard, hard work and hard graft, but um, it doesn't feel like a job. Charlie Leetcook and Rich Goldsmith from the London-based juice brand Moju there. Today, we're asking the question, does wealth make us rich anymore? Like Charlie and Rich, Parisian entrepreneur Alain Baudouin quit his job to pursue a goal that yielded more than mere financial rewards. Once upon a time, Alan studied computer science, but he made the decision to abandon that career in a rather drastic way. Now a cobbler, Alan makes bespoke boots by hand. It's his life's passion and, as he explains, it's a path he always wanted to walk. Before making shoes, I was actually working in a business development. So mostly quantitative marketing, making sure like marketing efforts are like ROI positive. I didn't really like to work in a corporate environment and I couldn't find a creative dimension to my job. The 9 to 5 life, I really wasn't made for it, so... I quit not knowing that I was going to make shoes. The shoe thing came actually later by mistake. It was not planned at all. I was just wanted to start like a tech startup at the beginning. And then I met a shoemaker in like a workshop and I fell in love with the job and started like learning with him and uh, started my business with one artisan. The idea had changed a lot. I mean, the way probably entrepreneurs change ideas a lot. The initial idea was probably just to have a shoe brand. And then it became a made-to-measure shoe brand, and then a bespoke one. And now I'm working ready-to-wear. So I'm kind of touching every sphere of the shoemaking industry. But at the beginning, it was I just wanted to have like a brand of shoes and design. I think when you start a company, you're always optimistic about the financial situation. You will think like, okay, if I start a business, it's to make money, of course. But I mean, making made-to-measure shoes is clearly not a very profitable business. It's like a love business. And anybody in that industry is there for the love of the craft. So I did realize that early on and I did fall in love with the craft. But after a few years, you do realize that you need to compromise at some point and that you need to do other stuff that's not necessarily your favorite stuff and uh, that also generates like revenue. 
When you look at like people who are into like nine to five jobs, they feel they have job security, but they don't really. I mean, especially in London, it's very easy to fire somebody over any reason. I didn't find that I had more job security when I was had a nine to five than now. The only difference is today I have to work every single day hard to make sure that the revenue gets in. Whereas when I had a nine to five, it felt even if I didn't work. But if I didn't work for like too long, I would get fired, and I knew that. So I I feel that job security is not really a thing. It doesn't really exist. I think the most successful people are usually people who don't think only about the money. They think about something that they want to really do, and then somehow the money comes. And I think for me that's kind of what's happening. It's because I really love what I do, and so I make the best products I can ever do, and then everything falls out of this. Like the sales come because the product is perfect, and people just buy it. Then the rest is kind of secondary. Alan Baudouin there on his path to shoemaking and how learning the trade eclipsed the financial promise of the tech world. One theme that's become clear across the world of work is that money made for its own sake is worth less than ever before. Taught by the uncertainty of a financial crisis and the rising tides of technology and social entrepreneurship, many members of the younger generation are learning to live better lives with less and seeking to serve a deeper purpose than simply lining their own wallets.